0: If human beings are so careless, stupid, and malicious that they cannot be trusted to do the right thing on their own, how would the situation be improved? By taking a subset of those same careless, stupid, and malicious human beings and giving them societal permission to forcibly control all the others. Welcome to Keith Knight, Don't Tread on Anyone, and the Libertarian Institute. Today I'm joined by Magnus Pandvidia. Uh, Is that how you pronounce your last name?
1: Yeah, I mean, you you stumbled a little bit, yes, yeah, it's Pandvidia
0: i swear it, i pra- it's okay I i've heard, I've heard like beforehand and i'm not sure i'm I've not had sure like, i've heard like
1: 13 pronunciations of like pan vadaya like yeah so it's gay. Okay.
0: <laughs> p-a-n-v-i-d-y-a check out the uh d- description for uh his link tree links you'll be able to find his podcast as well as where you can find him on social media magnus uh what does it mean to be a libertarian anarchist
1: Ah, uh, so it it means not giving up on electoral politics, but not viewing it as the final solution. That's that's how I would define it, because I I definitely see there's a subset of the community they're like never vote, never bother, never use this giant government institution that you can take advantage of to push your ideas. And then you have the other ones that are like just libertarians. And they're like, well, I like, I like the, go- you know, a little government, not not a lot of government, just a little government. And yeah, I'm, I'm in between those. I'm a full throated anarchist, but I, I don't deny the the opportunity to have the government pay for me to platform my ideas.
0: And when, uh, when we hear the word anarchy, one might think of, you know, throwing trash cans, no no order really existing. What does it mean to be an anarchist?
1: Uh, to, to be an anarchist to me is just when I go out and take out my garbage, when I talk to my neighbor, when I go on this podcast, when I decide what I'm going to eat for dinner. It's just a, a bunch of voluntary, spontaneous interactions between cognizant human beings. Your, your quote in the beginning summed it up perfectly of, well, we already all do this. So by just giving people authority to regulate it, it's no different than if we just continue to do it on our own. So why do we even bother with that whole power structure and force that comes with that? Uh,
0: are you, uh, do, do you associate with uh, Black Lives Matter, the uh, organization?
1: I do not associate with the organization. Thankfully, most of the activists no longer associate with the organization, <laughs> which is the best part. But uh, the movement in general, I'd say broadly, yes. Specifically, obviously, there's a lot of disagreements that kind of are there. But the, a lot of the general concepts and themes I do kind of identify
0: with. Of all the um, activists that I've met uh, who uh, are part of BLM or uh, use that uh, term Black Lives Matter to explain their position or uh, ideas that they value, uh, I haven't run into any anarchists there. What would be your elevator pitch to a Black Lives Matter um, advocate participant uh, to maybe get them to consider the idea of anarchism or voluntarism?
1: Uh, take, Take all of the legitimate arguments and critiques you have about abolishing the police and just apply it to everything. (laughs)
0: <laughs> if someone is a conservative, what is your elevator pitch to them if they have not really considered the ideas of anarchism?
1: I would say after this last year, I don't know how you could hold on to conservatism when it, it has been proven that all of these institutions, including you know people that are you elected to represent you, have turned on you, have shut your business down, have sold out your money, and have sicked the police on you. And all of the usual conservative kind of cope things of the cops will never do that and the, the Constitution will protect us and, and, and the magic sky cloth has these ideas that are indivisible like they've been proven wrong categorically. So it's like you're either denying reality or you're, you're starting to take the red pill.
0: Say I am a progressive, sort of. So not like Killer Mike. I'm more of a Robert Reich progressive. Who, um, while I have my criticisms of the police, I really see them as a great mechanism that we, as a society, can employ in order to see, dece- uh, in order to achieve desirable ends: healthcare, higher wages, better living standards, infrastructure, uh, keeping things uh, so- sort of in line or organized. Uh, how would you communicate? Well, not to Robert Reich, but I mean the I person say, Robert who, Robert Reich
1: in particular, <laughs> I would just say that yeah, he uh, wants uh, all those things so he can sick the police on me to get what he wants.
0: <laughs> exactly. But there are a lot of people who get he's got 1.3 million Twitter followers. There's a lot of people who ideologically are a Robert Reich default uh progressive. What do you say to them uh when advocating the idea of anarchism?
1: That one's a lot harder. I do find like the the kind of Democrat progressive and the GOP conservative, like the actual, like, not just like, oh, I vote for the GOP because they're the closest I got, but like actually believes in the GOP, GOP conservatives, the hardest ones to break through. And it requires so much poking and prodding to like get them on because that's, that's peak statism. Like that is the top of the political spectrum. They, They are closer to what you would define as fascism under like the actual definition than anything else because they really do just want... The government to control and run everything <laughs> and it's like
0: uh. you have mentioned that uh, there were a number of authors uh, who have motivated you or given you a lot of intellectual backing uh, what is the most important thing you learned from or contribution of murray bookchin
1: so murray murray bookchin more than anything is kind of where the unity concept comes from because murray bookchin despite being like a self-identified marxist left-leaning anarchist He has actually spoken at the libertarian national convention more than a few times. And he was actually friends with several prominent libertarians. And he gave this speech at the LP convention while he was being interviewed by reason mag that kind of like slotted into everything that I'm trying to accomplish with the unity coalition of, he described himself as like he he, in an anarchist society, he would much rather prefer to be a collectivist anarchist But he did not immediately hate or think that like what an ANCAP wanted was inherently bad as long as it was actual anarchism. And that, in fact, he would take it even further to where if his collectivist anarchist society became totalitarian in any way that he would leave that and go join up with the ANCAPs to fight the tyranny of his collectivist society. And that was his whole kind of point is like the whole reason why we're all anarchists is to fight tyranny and oppression. So I don't care where that's coming from. I will join with whoever I have to join with to fight against whatever form it takes. And that was like very like, holy like you know, this 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 is a Marxist. Like speaking at like like you know, like the Rothbard Institute in like the like at the like with Mises caucus people and stuff like that back in the eighties, being like, Yeah, I, to- I like you guys, you're fine. And actually, like a lot of people on my side call me like a petty bourgeoisie, and I would much rather hang out with you than them. And it's like, holy crap, like he he got it earlier than a lot of people got it. And that's kind of like been a big inspiration for me.
0: I have run into a lot of that. Um, when uh, people say, you know, I really like the idea of everyone sort of chipping in. There's a lot of camaraderie. There's a lot of solidarity. I feel like I have meaning. I don't believe in God. So this sort of group is my collective identity and they still support people's right to contract. So employee, employer, um, taking out loans, those sorts of things uh, that would be consistent with the uh, voluntarist or anarcho-capitalist. I've been seeing a lot of that, and it's really cool. To, yeah, the whole uh, the
1: whole panarchy or metaarchy kind of like movement or anarchism without adjectives of essentially like wh- whether anyone wants to admit it or not, because obviously people get very defensive. There's nothing. And this isn't a criticism of anarchism, be very quick quick with it. But there's nothing stopping an anarcho communist collective from b- being totalitarian. And there's nothing stopping an anarcho capitalist like business from being totalitarian. That's a problem we're going to have to deal with. It will come up. But that doesn't mean that those ideas are inherently invalid as long as they're voluntary. And in fact, it'll be easier to deal with those problems if the anarcho communists in their commune and then like the anarcho capitalist that has like a business venture. Saw one of those organizations forming, one of those like tyrannical institutions forming and banded together to fight it instead of sitting there and be like, oh, you're not a real anarchist back and forth to each other. And I think people are kind of slowly getting that.
0: Yeah, I've always said that tyranny can exist under sort of any society. The reason you'd want anarchism is because you want the ability to disassociate and not fund certain tyrants. But with the state, well, they are the one tyranny organization. You can't opt out of funding. And then even your neighbors will be like, well, you're not following the law, even though they don't hold that standard for any other organization in society. In, in particular,
1: uh, like like especially growing up in a very conservative area, Like, I'll use that as an example, but the progressives fall under this too. Like, they supply both ways. Of these people, will always slip up and they'll always accidentally break this law or push the line or whatever. And they'll self rationalize and be like, oh, that's just a slip up. I'm a good person, I'm a good law abiding person. But then they'll see you slip up and they'll be like, well, that's what you get for breaking the law. And it's like every conservative I knew was was smoking marijuana was illegal and like making moonshine and driving over the speed limit and everything. But and that was fine because they're a law abiding citizen. And this was just, you know, they're just pushing the boundary a little bit. But then, you know, like like a black guy in, in Detroit or something will get pulled over with some marijuana. And it'll be Like, see, they should have just followed the law. And it, it's hypocrisy baked in. Almost every single person commits multiple felonies a day without even realizing it. Like, it's just it's how the world works.
0: It's impossible to run a business without breaking the law because you just don't know. I mean, there's thousands and thousands of regulations. No one has read them. So by simply by acting in the absence of having read all these, you're definitely going to break them. So uh, we're doing you guys a favor. Don't put that obligation on yourself that you have to abide by the arbitrary edicts of a Congress that you often call corrupt and lying why do you have an obligation to obey right. that out of all not, groups in society nine
1: percent like total approval across all of the government i think was like the aggregate and yet we're still like we're still keeping this up like why <laughs> you know like i don't and, that, it's and that's so even hard to believe
0: nine percent of people uh, i don't run into anyone who was just generally happy with congress in general i mean they they always say the other party has too much power and if they're extremists that are controlling everything i have trouble believing it's as high as nine percent but even if if we go with that i think that's the aggregate
1: of like if you take like like senate congress like the federal agencies the the president like everything and i think that was you combined them all together that was the aggregate because the Uh, president will be like 37 congress will be like 11 the house will be like six you know you combine them all together and that's what you get
0: most important thing you learned from the work of Murray and Rothbard.
1: Murray and Rothbard, definitely just kind of all the economics of everything, because like, despite me probably being much further to the left on the scale of a lot of like anarcho-capitalists and stuff like that, I consider myself a mutualist. Definitely. I've never given up the markets. I'm still a market anarchist and just how that works and kind of that, like their writings kind of started to, i i found the ideas through other people but they started to like solidify like the theory behind it of just how you cannot regulate the market you cannot get involved with the market nobody understands what the hell the market is or what it does it just exists it, it operates however the hell it pleases in that moment and attempting to shackle it is just a wasted venture and often results in more negative consequences than letting it just run free so that's kind of like the what I got from all of them out of that. And then if you want to talk about like Spooner, just, you know, the idea that the the flag and the constitution mean literally nothing. <laughs> like we need to stop emphasizing it so much because it is just a magic piece of paper that, that doesn't attribute anything or help us or even hurt us in any way. It's just inert.
0: Exactly. And that that's another one. They, uh, that they uh, will often say, well, this country was founded on, well, hold on. If the founding of a country justifies you know, how people should act in future generations, you don't have the right to criticize North Korea or Iraq or any of the other countries you're hating at the moment because right. the press is telling you that they're seconds away from nuking us all. Um, well, that country was founded by Kim Il-sung, where the state uh, has abolished uh, the right to private property. So that that's their country, right? When you don't have any foundational principles like people, like Book, Chin, Spooner, and Rothbard have uh, have given us, it's like, well, you're just setting yourself up to be lost and believe in you know the next the, the latest thing you heard from uh, f- from Fox News.
1: Especially when like half half of the founders of the country like vehemently, vehemently disagreed with the Constitution. I mean, all the anti-federalists, <laughs> you know. Mason, all of the, like, even even the people that agreed to it to a degree, like Thomas Paine and stuff like that, were still like, uh, <laughs> this might go a bad way when the Constitution was written. So, like, it's like, you know, you want to talk about the Founding Fathers. Like, I don't usually point to, like, Washington or, or Franklin or anything like that. I'm usually pointing to some, like, belligerently drunk South Carolina man in, in the swamp who didn't want any government anymore and begrudgingly accepted this new foundation. <laughs> This what was yeah. Mason's quote it was something about this, this, this European transplant to the new world, I think is what he described the Constitution as because they, they were anarchists. A lot of a lot of the founding fathers, like the actual people were anarchists. They legitimately wanted to live in the middle of nowhere and have nobody to tell them what to do and that they fled from the European European you know, continent to go here to be left the hell alone and didn't want anyone telling them what they could or couldn't do. So they were very a lot of them were very upset that the constitution was even
0: written. What is the most important thing you learned from the work of Kropotkin?
1: Kropotkin? Agorism. That's my big thing. That's the thing I preach all the time. Especially, uh, I've kind of updated it because agorism is very pacifistic. I don't, I believe in defensive. I don't don't believe in offensive action. I'm never going to be an anarchist that's going around like throwing Molotov cocktails and, and like blowing up government buildings. I don't think that accomplishes anything really. But in terms of just the, the the state only exists because you participate in it. So the, the less you participate in it, the more it works. And especially over the lockdowns, that's been the biggest thing of like, just running around to these conservatives and be like, you can open up anytime you want. You just could. And if enough of you do it, then they couldn't do anything about it. Like there's...
0: Yeah, there's- and and that's why they're constantly attacking the unity and class consciousness, as some would say, of the average person, because it's like, If I open up my business, I'm going to jail and I'm getting fined. But if everyone is on the same page intellectually or we have the same sort of spirit of we have the right between, you know, as Nozick would say, uh, capitalist acts between consenting adults or what you could just call agorism. We have the right to do this without you. Uh, Don't you say we are the government? Aren't you us? Okay, let us tell ourselves then. That it's okay for us to open up our business.
1: Yeah, there, there, there's more people within 20 square miles of where I'm sitting right now than the entire U.S. police force and military put together. So, like, if just my county just said no and did whatever they wanted, then nobody could do anything about it. So it's just that's that's why I do like like things that are going on, like the free state project in New Hampshire, where all the all the libertarians are just moving to the same place to just take it over and just it's like, there we go. Like, like, there's enough of us. Let's 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 get some some mutual aid. Let's let's embrace some leftist tactics for once, which is my biggest thing, because I think the thing that confuses conservatives about me more than anything is that it's not that I agree with the left more than the right on principles and philosophy and what my like preferred world would be but i infinitely like their tactics better than the right because the right is to complain and beg for authority to respect their oath that is the right wing tactic whether it be libertarian even anarchists even conservatives that's all they've done for my entire life is just pump the brakes and beg for things to go back to normal while the left is willing to get in the streets the left is willing to fight the left is willing to break the laws and it's like okay well like we could start doing that like any time, you know, like we could, we could have, we could have a 10,000 person March on Washington, DC open carrying firearms saying we're never going to abide with your laws and then peacefully go home. There's nothing they could do about it. We could do that tomorrow, but, but the, the worship of the law and the worship of doing things the way the right kind of does has just paralyzed people. So that's why like I, people confuse me of like, oh, you're a communist or you're a left winger or something like that. It's like, no, I just like how they do things better than we do. <laughs> so yeah.
0: like... It's, it's certainly, it's uh, hard to argue with uh, the, the effectiveness. There was uh, a, a uh, colleague of Murray Rothbard's at the university of Nevada, Las Vegas, Hans Hermann Hoppe, who wrote a paper called Marxist and Austrian class analysis in 1990. He says, here are five points. So Hoppe's an anarcho-capitalist. And he says that there are five points of Marxism all of which are actually correct, but they uh, incorrectly uh, uh, identify the culprit. Let me know if you uh, uh, agree with these. Let's go one by one. Number one, there was a small, parasitic, unjust ruling class who attempts to rule over the masses. Agree or disagree? Agree. Why?
1: Uh, Because definitely there will always be a class of people that, they they just seek to dominate, and they will find whatever power structure, whatever path, whatever, whether it be economic, socially, culturally, entertainment, it doesn't matter. They will find their path to control people and feel better than people. That's just human nature. It's something we're always going to have to deal with. It'll never go
0: away. Point number two, the ruling class is ideologically held together by its interest in keeping the system of exploitation ongoing. Only an increase in class consciousness by the exploited can remedy this. Rulers never willingly retreat. Agree or disagree? Agree. Why?
1: Definitely, you just see that. I always There's like the two extremes of there's no conspiracy, and then there's a grand conspiracy where all these people are diligently planning every single step along, and they're all secretly. No, the the reality is, is that they'll oppose each other to get above each other, But the moment that any normal person starts to threaten their power, you will see the powers that be come together immediately, whether, you know, whether it be in our country, the Republicans, the Democrats, they will fight like cats and dogs until the moment that the normies start to infringe on them whatsoever. And then they are in lockstep on what they want and what will benefit them.
0: Point number three. An ideological superstructure, media, education, advertising, courts, property rights system and police exist to keep the ruling class in power. Agree or disagree? Yes,
1: especially like, I mean, it, it, it varies to degrees, obviously, some some power structures, legal structures and stuff like that are better than others. But definitely in modern America, like particularly why I say that voting will never be the final like the, the final solution to this, that economics will never be the final solution to this that creating your own payment processor and blah blah like all these things will never be the final solution to this is because now in 2021 we have gotten to the point where the entire structure is completely built to prevent any real change from happening period like every law every economic regulation every you know who can be in and out of the debates, how you get for political funding, how you get into the government, how you pass laws. Every single thing has been structured to where it's impossible for an outsider to get in. And the closest we had to that, which is really sad to say, was Donald Trump. And you saw how that didn't change anything. And the fact that he, it, it requires a extremely wealthy, braggadocious kind of asshole to even scrape you know, the edge of the cathedral shows how bad the situation is to where like anyone who's 10 times better than Trump, who might actually have a chance of like changing things is never going to be allowed to touch the whole, the power structures.
0: Excellent points. Point number four, the ruling class has an inherent tendency to be corrupted, concentrated and move towards centralization. Agree or disagree.
1: Sorry. You repeat the first part of that. You cut out a little bit.
0: I'm sorry. The ruling class has an inherent tendency to be corrupted, concentrated, and centralized.
1: Yes, just because the simple law of the land, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that's every single thing. It doesn't matter. You put somebody in there, it's, go, it's going to self-perpetuate, period. And even if it doesn't self-perpetuate, the other institutions will tear it down. Another, another great example of that, that you can apply both to Obama and Trump, is the CIA and the FBI and the military industrial complex just doing things without ever addressing them or asking them what, how they felt about it or asking for permission, just running around doing whatever they want, unelected power structures. So how can you hang around people like that that you know will ignore you and they'll do whatever you want and not be influenced by that, even if you are a good, genuine, wholesome U.S. president that wants to you know, save the country? Those are the people you are surrounded by constantly. Those are the people in your ear. They're the ones that are giving you the data, the advice, because you can't be everywhere at once. So, how do you not, even in a, a different kind of way, not personally corrupted, but your worldview get corrupted just by being around those people?
0: Finally, point number five inherent corruption plus more centralization equals more instability and a crumbling of the system, giving potential rise to a mass realization by the exploited that an unjust system of exploitation should be replaced by a system of cooperation and mutual benefit. Agree. Okay, <laughs> so that was basically Hoppe's way of saying that um, the Marxists and anarcho-capitalists have a lot in common. They just disagree on who the exploiters are and who the exploited classes are. When looking at who the exploiters are in the world and who the exploited are, how do you determine that? Um,
1: Definitely it's kind of twofold because I do view that there are a lot of very productive and semi-wealthy people that are exploited by the government, that are attacked and antagonized by the government. I personally don't think you become a billionaire in this co- in this country just from again how the system's set up with, by without playing ball and becoming dirty with the how the government works but there's definitely small business chains and stuff like that that like the the owner is a millionaire he has, has a nice house on a on a lake he's got a boat his, fan, his kids go to you know private school or whatever the marxist might consider him an evil person but then you talk to him and you see how much gets stolen from him and how much his businesses go after. And you realize there's a difference between the CEO of McDonald's and, you know, Hal's pizza chain, where he has like six pizza places across. So that's one element of it. And then obviously you also have like the left wing perspective of the poor, the the minority groups, the the underclasses that are kept in the underclass by the government, targeted by the go- go- underclass, targeted by the government and and continually... Destroyed any step up they get because they are threatening the powers of B. So kind of both in that way.
0: There was a book written and published by Princeton University uh, by Jason Brenton titled "When All Else Fails: The Ethics of Resistance to State Injustice." I think of you whenever I, uh, <laughs> whenever I, whenever I read that name. So this uh, for you is uh, very common sense. I'm sure you will agree with this statement. But I'm going to quote. Uh, from the book. Uh, Tell me why, assume you're talking to the average person who doesn't spend much time in this, why you agree with this statement. You possess the same right of self-defense and the same right to defend others against government agents that you do against civilians. Agree or disagree? Why?
1: 100% agree because I do not view them to be separate whatsoever. I don't believe a government agent is anything different than a regular person. I believe if I... If, if I if I saw a random guy in a all black uniform with a bulletproof vest beating on an old elderly woman in the street, I would do the same thing as I would if it was just a random guy. And the only difference is one of them has the nebulous title of police officer.
0: Excellent. And, he, and even again,
1: a great, great George Mason Mason quote, he actually took it the opposite direction, which is really funny to me when he when he was asked to define what the militia was at the Constitutional Convention in Virginia in 1788. He asked, "Who?" Like they asked, "Who is the militia?" And he responded, "The militia is everyone to the exclusion of some public officials." So he took it to the opposite (laughs) direction. He he said, "Everyone deserves to have guns except for the people of the government." (laughs) That that was, and I agree with that.
0: Like, well, yeah, if if you literally believe they're public servants, you serve me. Well, what do you need? Who are you going to defend yourself against? Me? I'm your you're my servant, according to you. But of course, that uh, th- that's the double standard we face. So Brennan goes on to say that uh, imagine uh, you know, someone was sort of, you know, creating an educational facility, but demanded everyone give ten percent of their income to this person, or he would put them in a cage. And if they resisted the cage, he'd shoot them. And then imagine that um, he uh, th- that you have some enemies. So you sort of enslave people to fight against your enemies, and in doing so you kill a large number of people. He says this is no different than um, taxation, draft, or the war, saying what's perplexing in a sense is why people don't find that puzzling. They believe that governments are permitted to do things ordinary people are forbidden from doing. In particular, they believe that governments are permitted to issue commands, telling us what to do and not to do, and that the governments may use violence and threats of violence to make us comply with these commands. Why do you oppose people using a government to achieve their ends in society?
1: Just just, just the simple fact of how how it ends up being and how it's always ended up being. If we ever had a state that existed before or now for a a substantial period of time, like 100 years, where there were not innocent people that were doing nothing that hurt anyone else that were totally victimless in cages or murdered— then I would be less like staunch on this, but it is simply never happened. And people are even delusional about how it was in America to where they forget that we had stuff like we had speech laws. We had what like civility laws or something like that against cursing in public or using dirty language in bars. <laughs> and that was, that was, that wasn't 200 years ago. That wasn't 300 years ago. That was 60 years ago that these laws were, the comedians were being thrown in jail for saying, fuck, like that's America. And, and, we we as a, a nation, as a society, have had way less victimless crimes than other places. And the fact that we've had it that bad just goes to show that the government cannot help itself. And you're seeing it go on right now with the, with, uh, the Biden administration talking about banning the manufacture of menthol cigarettes. And you see people in the comments coping of like, oh, well, it's just the manufacturer. And it's like, OK, well, you ban the manufacturers. But then people start making their own menthol cigarettes. So, well, now you need to go after civilian manufacturers. But then they're really hard to find because they're criminals and they're smart. So what do you do to get around that? You start arresting people for possession of them to hope they can find the manufacturer. This is the same thing that happened with marijuana. It's the same thing that happened with alcohol. It's just – it's logical. It's it's really binary. And if you that was your goal, that's how you would go about it. And that is the government's goal. So it, it it's – it's try you know it's asking the sun not to rise, essentially. It's almost a law of science at this point that it will continue to expand. It will continue to find ways because that is the logical conclusion of it,
0: yeah, and it doesn't have the self-correcting mechanism of allowing people to disassociate. So you just never know if there's a law, everyone has to read my book. I'll never be able to truly determine whether or not people value my work or uh, or not.
1: Um, and you uh, you have to, and to make sure, to, to make sure, you'll have to start going and enforcing that. And then you're gonna have to find people who don't have the book, which means you're gonna have to start going into people's homes and searching it. And you're gonna have to have to come up with new technology to make sure people have read your book. And it's it's just logical. Again, like if if you put yourself in the head of a repressor, which I know it, it's hard for us anarchists to do, but if you do that, of like, well, it's my goal to make sure everyone reads this book, no matter what. Then that's how you would do it. You know, <laughs> it's just that easy. <laughs>
0: I uh, see you have the uh, rainbow flag uh, behind you. If you are speaking to someone uh, in the LGBT community that uh, constantly uh, was pressing for uh, the right for uh, two people of the same sex to uh, have a uh, marriage, uh, what would you say to them uh, as far as why they should consider the philosophy of anarchism or voluntarism?
1: Uh, I, I think the government has nothing should have nothing to do with marriage and the fact that the concept of marriage now has been— the, the the religious people hold it up as this as this holy union and everything like that. That's not what it is in America. It's a tax agreement. It is a legal legal monetary agreement between people that is only enforced by the government. Nobody else cares if you're married besides the government. And like I've always thought that it was just kind of a false battle. Like uh, one of the rare things I agree with Ben Shapiro on is is there there shouldn't be gay gay marriage because there should be no legal marriage. The concept of legal marriage is stupid. And the fact that the conservatives under Reagan let the government get involved with it has shown of just how more and more idiotic the whole process has gotten. And it's out of control at this point to where people – I was just in a call with uh, one of the uh, Twitter like hangouts or whatever they do you can join in where there was at, at least six different women that were talking about getting a strategic divorce because they make too much money and the tax increases would hit them. Not that they love their husbands any less, not that they planned on breaking up with them, but that they were going to go get a divorce just so they could not have money stolen from them for that. And I'm like, wow, that's a that's a condemnation of the concept of marriage and has done more to damage the concept of marriage than than gay people wanting to go into a, a cathedral and have a priest read them rights ever could have.
0: Correct. Yeah. You know, that was actually one of the, my sister had sort of been uh, friends with a lot of uh, members of the LGBTQ community. And I had sort of, uh, I had uh, really supported that idea. I said, well, if a man and a woman can uh, get married, why would that principle, voluntary agreement, not apply to to men getting married so long as they're consenting adults? Um, I don't see anything wrong with this. What I basically did took me about 10 years to do this, is I took that principle and then applied it to economic transactions. So the same reason you wouldn't have the right to uh, coercively stop two people from, two consenting adults from engaging in an act of intercourse, even though you believe, well, it might not be best for them, and uh, there might be long-term effects, and they could do all these other things. Well, uh, all of those also apply to economic interactions. Have you had any success with Taking the principle of voluntary associating, uh, voluntary association uh, in the economic realm, and uh, di- letting the uh, th- this uh, community know about uh, voluntary economic interactions.
1: That's actually like one of the biggest like breaking points for like if you talk to like a lot of like like lesbian or, or like queer libertarians or anything like that, they're like this all started because we wanted to get married, and then we just increasingly hated the government more and more. And it's like yes, exactly, and that's kind of how it what it takes is if if there's something fundamental and core to your personality that the government does not allow you to do it is only natural that you end up as some form of anarchist or libertarian it's all like whether it be a gun owner whether it's marijuana whether it be a bit, like running a business like any kind of thing where where you've part of your soul part of what you like feel like you're here to do or part of your key key part of your personality is blocked by the government this is where you end up which goes to show why like so many mm-hmm. people that are, are super status are very boring, generic people, you know, <laughs> what, what what they like to do hasn't been banned by the government yet.
0: So um, let me know if you're able to see my screen. Are you able to see uh, the screen here?
1: Yeah, this, this article, I love this article. <laughs> so, uh, uh, th-
0: so this one I'll read, I'm gonna ask you to read the next thing. So this is an article from Wired. It says, the most dangerous people on the internet in 2020. This year saw plenty of destructive hacking and disinformation campaigns, but amid a pandemic and historic election, the consequences have never been graver. And here is a picture. Here's my
1: smiling, of, goofy, ridiculous Hawaiian shirt wearing self. Yes. <laughs>
0: so here is Mark Zuckerberg. And then to the left of him is Magnus, my guest today. And then is Donald Trump. And then a, uh, do, do you know who uh, the gentlemen yeah, those, are? Those,
1: yeah, those are my boys right there. There's some Michigan Boogaloo boys. They're part of the collective.
0: And do you know who this guy is? I have, I don't have
1: know. no idea. I think he's like a Wall Street dude or something.
0: Okay, well. It shows how dangerous
1: actually, he is. Nobody knows who he is.
0: <laughs> he, he's definitely uh, working, uh, working behind the scenes. Um, are you a danger to the internet? I am a normie mm-hmm. asking. I don't even know what the bougie boys are.
1: Uh, I would I would consider myself an extreme danger to the the government and the country and the powers that be. I would not consider myself the minimal amount of a danger to the average human being, and that's why they write articles like this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it, it's amazing. They'll uh, they'll tell us what uh, what dangers the average person is, uh, while they uh, advocate wars that consist of funding Al Qaeda and murdering civilians. And, uh, you know, taxing us to the point where uh, Wall Street's able uh, to get money from the Federal Reserve right when it's printed. It's like that does more damage to um, our uh, Social Security uh, recipients, our savers and uh, and everything else. Uh, Yeah,
1: this is this is one of the best memes of last year, by the way. I love that. This and this and the gun control ones are great.
0: So uh, th- this one is a little long, and uh, you had said that this is one of your favorites. If you could do me a favor and read this, and as you're reading it, stop, uh, or maybe just read the whole thing and uh, tell us what you like about it, because I saw that you said it, it's uh, one of your favorites.
1: Yeah. So this is, it's a Reddit post on Wall Street Bets. This was during the the GameStop revolution, as I'll call it, the GameStop insurrection, and uh, this was a post, and I uh, I very deeply empathize with this because this is. It's not exactly in my story, when it comes to my family, but it's very close. So, to begin, I remember when the housing co- housing collapse sent a torpedo through my family. My father's concrete company collapsed almost overnight. My father lost his home. My uncle lost his home. I remember my brother helping my father count pocket change on our kitchen table. This is almost exactly what happened to me, like in two thousand and eight, to it to a letter almost. That was all the money he had left in the world. While this was happening in my home, I saw hedge fund hedge funders literally drinking champagne as they looked down on Occupy Wall Street protesters. I will never forget that. If you have not Googled that image, Google that image right now while you're listening to this and you will get actually angry when you see these these dirty, poor, homeless hippies walking down the street and these millionaire Wall Street people sitting on the balcony and drinking champagne and throwing things at them. It's absurd. You don't even have to be you don't even have to hate millionaires to be like wow those are some bad people. Oh, <laughs> but, d- d- disgusting.
0: Yeah, yeah. and uh, I've seen it there was even an incident in LA where um I wasn't there a friend of mine told me about it that um you know a bunch of people uh, were walking past this homeless guy I don't know if they were all in a group or one person started it but they were all throwing things and spitting on the homeless guy you know telling him oh what you're making our neighborhood filthy yada 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 and she went up to him and said, I'm so sorry you had to deal with that, to which he, you know, is like responding. No, it, it's OK. So, you know, the the worst is uh, whenever they walk by and people just totally ignore me. But, right. yeah, that happens every now and then. It's like, oh, my God, you have to be a piece of shit to walk by someone in such a vulnerable position, even if they're angry, even if they're irrational. You know, uh, <laughs> breaking news everyone's irrational read Robin Hanson's elephant in the brain. It's hard for us to be rational about so many complex things, but when people just don't have any empathy, it's like, my God. And that's, and that's uh, what, what the state so often does. If I can only win at the expense of you, well, then we're totally going to be at odds. If there's no separation of uh, religion and state, I can only practice my religion if I cancel your religion. So I got to win. There's no voluntary marketplace, uh, where uh, where we can sort of hash this out. I'm sorry to interrupt you there. No, that's, but, that's great. That's great. <laughs> but, yeah.
1: Yeah. And then uh, to, 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 to finish this up, my my father never recovered from that blow. He fell deeper and deeper into alcoholism and now exists as a shell of his former self waiting for death. And then this is the, the Wall Street bets revolution defined in, in a paragraph, which was why it was so good and they had to destroy it. You You saw that like, there's no such thing as a free market because they literally shut that down just immediately legislative corporate interests aligning to shut that revolution down. This is all the money I have and I'd rather lose it than give them what they need to destroy me. Taking money from me won't hurt me because I don't value at all. I'll burn it. I'll burn it down. burn it all down just to spite them. This is for you, dad. And that was wall street bets. And that's even still now Dogecoin People are just lighting money on fire because they just don't care because they just want to hurt these people. And and that shows you like that the it's it's that idea is growing and that happened because people could do it from their smartphone on their couch and it required minimal investment or time or energy or personal risk. But the fact that people were willing to do that, that's that that's the ember that turns into pitchforks and and, and, and burning police stations <laughs> like later later down the line of people just being like, I don't care about the system. I don't care about this at all. I just want to hurt you. And the, you in this situation being like the government. And it's like, Oh boy.
0: <laughs> now let's look at this from a point of view of, uh, of a uh, unity or death is the name of the, uh, the the podcast that I've seen uh, you, you be associated with. So from a unity standpoint, the funny part of the meme is on the outside. All four corners of the political spectrum are people supporting them. Top, Right. God bless patriot. Bottom right to the moon. Bottom left, may you see justice, friend. Uh, upper left, keep fighting, comrade. And basically, what we can see is that at uh, at these what are referred to as extremes, but as the at the corners of these idea, uh of these uh, ideologies, we see a sort of I don't I don't know if you could call it populist, but there's still this ability for class consciousness to exist within a large number of people. So the fact that we can't organize at all or we have so much trouble, it feels like we have so much in common, but we're still unable to. What are some of the big reasons you think uh, people should? engage in unity politics as opposed to uh, division constantly trying to score points off uh, the other person or team
1: Uh, definitely like it it was kind of crystallized today i was talking about it less than an hour ago but um michael malice put out a poll and he was like of these four choices for people that know michael malice very famous anarchist one of my favorites he put out a poll of which of these four organizations would you be more comfortable to label as a domestic terrorist organization? And it was the ATF, Antifa, the GOP, and the NRA. And Antifa won by over 65% of the vote. That is so stupid because anyone who's conservative, anyone who who's, doesn't like anti-fascists, I'm not, I'm not telling you not to like them from a unity perspective. What I'm telling you now is that a hundred thousand college kids in black hoodies will never be a molecule as dangerous as the government. uh, Anti-fascists cannot show up to my house and drone strike me by tracking my phone's IP address and hitting this computer right now and get away with it with, with the help of the media and the intelligence agencies. They cannot do that. And it's just, I feel like that's the biggest sticking point of why people are struggling to unity is the is the powers that be have very effectively like skewed our hierarchy of threats to where like like I personally know nobody in my entire life that has ever been personally harmed by someone who calls themselves an anti-fascist or anti-fa in particular a black black clad red bandana street protester. I know uncountable people that have died been locked in jail have been permanently screwed up by the government have had their businesses destroyed have had been abused children stolen from them etc by the federal government so how can how in what universe can you consider a a collective of individuals with with bats and sticks anywhere near the military industrial complex and the three-letter agencies they've successfully gotten you to screw up your hierarchy of threats. And I think a lot of conservatives don't realize that they are also being manipulated into what they need to be worried about. They view it as like, oh, well, the left is like focused on racism and focused on all this stuff. And they're letting like the powers that be get away with it while they all fight and and kill each other. But then they'll turn around and, and say stuff like that malice poll of like, like, oh, the, the, the armed, you know, the, the stick wielding people with, with rubber shields on the street are the true threat to freedom. And it's like, you sure? Like, did you really think about this, you know? Because, like, who's kicking your door in in the middle of the night? It's not them. So it's like, that's kind of where, where the unity argument comes from, is even if I hate you, even if I think your ideas are aberrant, like, like if you like talk to, you know, an ANCAP talks to a Marxist, they, they both think that their end goal is, is atrocious and horrifying to each other. But the fact of the matter is, is that they'll never get to stage two out of ten of their respective plans before the government kills them all and locks them up. So we need to do something about this because we are all stuck in a room with a giant grizzly bear and the grizzly bear is tearing us apart and killing all of our friends and we're still yelling at each other. At some point, you just have to put it down and deal with the grizzly bear and then figure out afterwards what happens. And if we have to fight each other afterwards, then we fight each other afterwards. But there's also a chance that afterwards that we can come to compromise some form of of, of balkanization, some form of of agreement between each other that will be better than it is now, and there's a possibility of that. But right now, the only guarantee is some crazy technocratic fascism that is coming. You can see it right in front of you, and we're not doing anything about it.
0: Excellent. Magnus, thank you so much for your time. Everyone listening, uh, please check out uh, Magnus's podcast, Unity or Death, all the links to Uh, Where you could find his work will be in the description below. Magnus, thank you so much for your time. Take care.
1: Thanks, boss.